This morning, as we continue through our verse-by-verse study of the epistle of Timothy. We're in 1 Timothy 2, and we left off in verse 8. And if you'll read with me and draw your attention from verse 8 down to verse 15. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. For Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. Well, God bless you guys. Have a great week. We're done for today. (laughs) (laughs) Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you have made us male and female, men and women. We pray that we would understand your design this morning that we would understand the roles that you have for us to play in the home and also in the church. We're aware that there's a real enemy, so would you bind Satan from any way that he would want to bring confusion, distraction, division, to try to rob God's word from our hearts and our life. So God, would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Men and women are different, male and female. If you get three ladies together and they go out to eat, you'll find that their conversation and the way that they relate to each other is completely different how three guys relate to each other if they were to go out to eat. Like, let's take the ladies. They're Laura, Kate, and Sarah. They'll call each other by their names, Laura, Kate, and Sarah. It only makes sense. But if you've got three guys that go out to eat, Dave and John and Mike, they won't use their real names. They'll use things like Meathead and Fat Boy and Four Eyes, right? And all the guys are going, absolutely. A guy knows that he's my good friend if I can make fun of him. That's just part of the fun as men if you get to that place where, hey, Meathead, how you doing today? But I've never heard my wife call any of her friends Meathead. You know, probably wouldn't go go over very well. If you peruse the bathroom of a husband and wife, you'll find that some of the articles that are there in the bathroom are completely different, right? Men maybe have four articles, if they're lucky, a toothbrush, a razor, a comb, a towel. The typical woman has about 337 articles (laughs) in, in the bathroom, right? Men and women are completely different by design. One of my favorite comedians, Tim Hawkins, he he talks about how in his home, he feels like his wife just runs circles around him in the kitchen. And I can really relate to that. And women think differently. Ladies, you've been given this ability to multitask. So you can be in the kitchen doing 15 different things and it all connects. and And then us guys, we have one thought at a time if we're lucky, you know, I'm thinking about one thing right now. So I'll be there in the house and I'm doing this one thing. I'm making toast. I'm like, everybody be quiet. I'm making toast. You know, (laughs) don't talk to me right now. Something's going to happen. It's going to pop up, right? And yet God has done this as a masterful creator so that we wouldn't compete with each other. It's not a battle of the sexes this morning, but that we would complement 
one another. So here's the question for us this morning is roles, do they matter? Roles, do they matter? Has God given a specific role to men inside of marriage and women inside of marriage, to men inside of the church, to women inside of the church? Now, if you're new, if you're visiting here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, please understand that we study the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter. We go through books of the Bible. So this isn't necessarily an arrogant male chauvinist that's coming to you this morning that's trying to push this agenda. We're trying to be faithful to God's word. We're going to study all of God's word. So please give it at least two or three more weeks. Come back two or three more weeks and continue to study with us and you'll see our method of teaching that. And so let's get into it this morning and let's look at what God's word has to say. It begins with men. Paul's addressing men in verse 8. It says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere. It's important to keep in mind the context of the whole book. It's been two weeks, but we looked at the first part of chapter 2, where God's heart is that all people would be saved. So this is important for us that we fulfill the roles that God has given us to do so that God's overall mission can be accomplished, that people would come to know Christ as their Savior. We're exhorted in prayer in these first seven verses of this chapter, but now it hones in upon men. And I think in this discussion between men and women and the role in the family and the role in the church, I've got a very simple theory. It's this. If men will be men, women will be women. A lot of times we struggle with these roles because men have failed to be servant leaders. They've failed to fall in love with Jesus Christ. They're not wanting to take the leadership inside of their home that God calls them to. They're not wanting to take leadership that God calls them to inside of the church. And so that makes it difficult for the women. If you ever try ballroom dancing, we took a few lessons, Amber and I, and Amber was very gracious with these huge elephant feet that I have, but it really comes down to how well the guy's going to lead in the waltz. You know, he's got to be a decent leader when it comes to to this dance. And this dance between genders, it really starts with the men. Men, it starts with us. And we're given very specific, clear instructions. And it's to be a man of prayer. If we're going to lead the way that God would want us to inside of our home, to be that spiritual head, to love our wives as Christ loves the church, Ephesians 5 tells us this, we have to be connected with God. If we're going to serve in the church, if there's going to be elders inside of the church, pastors inside of the church that are leading in a Christ-like way, they have to be men of prayer. Praying everywhere. This is God's heart that everywhere we go, we would be a man of prayer. That we would start our day with prayer. As we're going through our day at work, that we would be in prayer. As we end our day, we're in prayer. When your family gets up in the morning Would it be unusual for them to find you on your knees before God, crying out to the Lord on behalf of your wife and your kids? Would it be unusual on your lunch hour to find you out walking, talking, and praying, and crying out to the Lord? Would it be unusual to end the day, if you're married with your spouse, to say, hey, babe, let's pray. Let's cry out to the Lord together. The great men of God in the Bible and also in history were men of prayer. Where is it in our lives? If we were to monitor it this morning, men, 
Are we men of prayer? Are we crying out to God in prayer? If you are, keep it up and keep going. Keep going strong. If not, start somewhere and say, I'm going to make prayer a priority in my life. What if this week the men of our church got after it with the week of prayer and fasting? And it wasn't just a week of prayer and fasting, but it was a change of life. What if the prayer meetings were packed this week, Monday through Friday, with the men of our church? And they said, you know what? We're going to be spiritual leaders in the home. We're going to be spiritual leaders in the church. We're going to be men of prayer. What if we carried this on on a weekly basis and maybe picked a day where we were going to fast or a meal that we were going to fast and we were going to cry out to the Lord in behalf of the family? However it looks, it's important, this principle, this truth, that we be praying everywhere, that we be men of prayer. How are we to be praying? Lifting up holy hands. There's different positions, postures of prayer throughout Scripture We see kneeling, bowing on our knees. We see being flat on our face before God. We see lifting our our hands to God. The most important thing is the condition of the heart. However, I do think all of those different postures are valuable. As we get on our knees as men, it's important. And as here we're instructed to lift our hands, what does it say? There's a certain level of desperation in lifting up our hands. Maybe you've seen people lift their hands to God and you're going, I don't, I don't really know if that's biblical. That's just a little bit too charismatic for me. Well, it is biblical. It's right here in scripture. It, actually, God calls us as men to lift our hands to God because it's a position of surrender. God wants surrendered men. If someone comes with, with a gun, you're going to put your hands up. I, I surrender. You've got control in this situation. It's us expressing to God, God, you have control. But also in lifting our hands to God is desperation. I think of my children, my young children, and sometimes they'll lift their hands and cry out, Dad, Dad. And that's what we're doing to our Heavenly Father. We're saying, Dad, Dad, I'm I'm desperate for you. I want to be close to you. But maybe my favorite in lifting hands to God is that we're passionate worshipers about Jesus Christ. Men, that's what God desires. He wants passionate worshipers of Jesus Christ. Well, that's not very manly. Well, that's not not very tough. I'm not going to sing to God. I'm going to leave that to my wife. I'm going to leave that to someone else. Well, look at David. Would you for an instant? Would you like to go up against David in a fight? Not necessarily. He's a man's man. He's a warrior. But he was also a worshiper. In his masculinity, he didn't think that there was any compromise in worshiping to God. There's nothing more manly than to worship the Lord. We're saying, I'm I'm excited about Christ. I'm in love with Christ. There's adoration that comes when we, we lift our hands to God. And in fact, God's saying, lift your hands to me everywhere. Lift your hands in your home. God, you're so good. I'm so thankful for who you are. Thanks for providing this meal. That would kind of blow things away around the family table, wouldn't it? You know, we're so used to, Lord, thanks for this food. Thank you for all that you've done. And amen, you know. What if we are at Red Robin with Meathead and Godzilla and we decide, hey, I'm just going to lift my hands. God, thank you so much for this food. Thank you for these good friends. Thank you, Jesus, for for dying for me. And everybody looks around and they're like, okay, I guess he's excited about Christ. See, all of this is tied in with lifting our hands to God. Also, Note that it's holy hands. God wants men to have holy hands. He died. He rose again to purify our hearts and our lives. And we begin to think about 
what were in our hands this week. Men, is there stuff in your hands that ought not to be there? Have you found yourself clicking on pornography? Have you found yourself getting your smartphone that's now making you dumb because you're accessing pornography? And it happens week after week, day after day. And guess what? That's going to stifle your worship. You're going to come in here with no passion for Jesus Christ because you've given yourself over to pornography and God's calling you to something else. And guess what? God loves you. And he can purify you. He can cleanse you. He can cause your hands to be holy before him. But those are the kind of men that God wants to raise up in the home and raise up in the church. Maybe it's not pornography. Maybe it's drugs and alcohol. And you give yourself over to drunkenness. And it's your state of being. And it's difficult to worship. And God wants to bring deliverance in your life as you lay those things down. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's marijuana, Colorado's drug of choice, right? I hear Cheeto sales are really going up in Colorado with our new law that's been taking place. They're calling the Super Bowl the Super Bowl, connecting it with pot, right? Because Washington State and Colorado were the first two states to legalize marijuana. And you're struggling with this and you're saying, well, it's now legal. So do I have the freedom to smoke pot? And may I suggest to you just because it's legal doesn't mean it's biblical. And God doesn't want men that are consumed with any kind of drug. He wants men that are consumed with the Holy Spirit. Amen. He wants men that are passionate about Jesus Christ, that are lifting holy hands to God. And this is us taking our place first in worship. And sometimes we get so focused in on the role in the home and the role in the church that we forget that it's an overflow of being in love with Jesus Christ. And saying, man, Christ died for me. He loves me. I don't want this junk. I don't want this garbage in my life anymore. Maybe it's hands that are violent, hands that do get to that place of bringing abuse in, in the family or you're a brawler or maybe you're not hitting somebody but you find yourself getting angry and getting angry and getting angry and God wants to do a work in the hands of men, men's hands. And I look at the hand of Jesus Christ and he's able to do it. He died for us. His scars are there in his hand to be able to transform and change our hands. Hands are interesting, you know, when you really stop and, and you think about it, especially someone who's, who's elderly, an elderly man who's, who's walked with Christ for many, many years, and they're weak and they're frail, but there's something tender about those hands. There's something with those hands that you can trust. There's, there's character there in those hands. And those are the kind of hands that we desire to have. Allow the Lord to bring about that change. Part of the prayer that we're to have is without wrath and without doubting. As we were exhorted in the first half of this chapter is we're to be praying for our authority. And as men, if we have an angry attitude towards our authority, whether it's our boss or the government, we're not in the right place in our prayers. God doesn't want angry, wrathful prayers, nor does he want prayers that are filled with doubting. He wants prayers that are filled with faith. And this is convicting. As men, do we believe in the power of prayer? Do we believe the best thing that we can be doing for our families, for this church, for this community, is to be praying? We may say, I'm too busy to pray. We're too busy to not pray. It's the most important part of our day, and it comes back to that faith. And I've got to share with you guys, sometimes it's not based on feeling. There are times that you feel everything with prayer. 
But there's other times where the feelings aren't there and you have to go by faith and not by emotion. Emotion's not gonna steer this ship. I know God's good. I know his promises are true. So I'm coming to God in prayer. I know that this prayer is gonna be heard by God in regards to my family, in regards to my church. And so men, may we be encouraged, may we be challenged, may we move first in the role that God has given us to do. Verse nine, now drawing attention to women, says in like manner also. So ladies, join in this course of prayer. Join in lifting hands to God. That women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. This word modest in the Greek, it's kosmiso, kosmiso, which we get the English word cosmetic, which we get makeup. This idea that modest means that you can't be fashionable is not true. So ladies, maybe you think, well, uh, for me to be modest, I really can't be fashionable in any degree. The idea is there's an order here. There's a, a thought here. So don't think for a moment that Dressing in a modest way doesn't mean that you can't be fashionable. The principle here in which God is sharing and speaking to women is your clothes should reflect the fact that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That you belong to Jesus Christ, that you had bought with a price. And so what you're portraying with your clothes should reflect that inward reality that your life belongs to Christ. And clothes do reflect the inward, don't they, to some degree. Clothes really are what we are feeling at different points and and times. Studies show that if men have two days off in a row, they're not going to shave. Why? Because they have this feeling of, I'm off, so I'm going to relax. I don't have to shave. And some of you ladies are like, yep. That's my husband. You know, that's, that's my, my boyfriend. When it really comes down to clothes, how many times is it based on need? Like, I really need this. Most of the time, it's based on feeling. We walk by a store, we're out, we've got some free time, and we see these clothes, and we go, yeah, I feel like I would like this. And some of you guys are going, preach it, Eric, preach it, you know. That's not my point at all this morning. My point is this, is that clothes do really reflect what's going on inside. And by what you wear, you are reflecting things that you believe on the inside. Modest apparel, it's important, propriety. How many of you have an old King James? Does anybody have an old King James Bible? Okay, a handful of you do. What does it say in your Bible there for propriety? It says, shamed facedness. Now, that's quite a word. What what does that mean? Don't dress in a way that's going to cause you to blush or cause somebody else to blush. That's the principle there. In the New King James, it's translated as propriety. And propriety means this. It's conforming to accepted standards. It's good sense. It's right for the occasion. It's right for the occasion. So Saturday morning, hanging around the house, there's particular clothes that are right for the occasion. In this section of Timothy's, Paul is writing so we know how to conduct ourselves in the household of God. Not the brick and the mortar and the drywall, but how to relate to one another. So there is a way to dress when we gather with the people of God. To to say, is this going to be appropriate? Am I drawing attention to myself or am I drawing attention to the Lord? There are times maybe where someone would dress in such a way, a lady would dress in such a way, where she's coming in and very obviously it's, 
hi. I, I'm here, you know. And she was thoughtful as she was getting ready that morning coming to church that I'm going to turn some heads today. And that's what Paul is speaking to. But also we need to be an equal opportunity offender when it comes to this because in our day and age, there's some guys too that need to consider some moderation and propriety when they gather with the people of God. And skinny jeans for for guys is kind of in. It's the fashion. And I don't think there's anything wrong with skinny jeans. I think they're kind of cool as well. But sometimes guys will wear these skinny jeans where they're entirely too tight and they're showing the church of God some things that they don't want to (laughs) see. Amen? And so, guys, if you like skinny jeans, just be careful that they're not too tight, you know? And then there's some guys that just like to have their pants sag, right? And then, uh, so let's just sag them down a little bit, and they're kind of doing the same thing, but it's a little bit more like this. They're walking in like, praise the Lord, you know, and the pants are sagging. And Hey, dude, we don't want to see that. Pull up your pants a little bit. Have some propriety. So we're to be an equal opportunity offender when it comes to modesty and propriety and moderation. And moderation is the last one here. And this is the avoidance of excess or extremes. It's not too much. It's not too little. And the heart behind this is we want to point attention to God and not point attention to ourselves. Continuing in verse 9, it says, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. I like how the Bible knowledge commentary puts this. Not wrong in and of themselves, but wrong when they indicate misplaced values. So ladies, it's not wrong to wear jewelry, to have braided hair, to have gold, but it's wrong when it portrays misplaced values, when it it communicates that materialism is the most important thing about my life. Also, we have to understand that Ephesus was a port city right off the Mediterranean Sea with many prostitutes. We know that from the ruins as people have gone and dug through the ruins on the sidewalks, they would have signs pointing to the houses of the prostitutes. It would be like coming into Colorado Springs and on the freeway, instead of advertising Chick-fil-A and Chipotle, it would be like, here's the prostitute house. That's how bad prostitution was in Ephesus most likely the prostitutes would dress in this way, with braided hair, with gold, with pearls. And Paul is saying, don't dress in such a way that says, I am available. And as a pastor and as a brother in Christ, I'd like to try to share my heart with the sisters in our fellowship, and especially you younger women. There's so much pressure on the high school gals, the college gals, really women in general, to dress in a way that the world dresses. And in your mind, you might be thinking, young ladies, you know, if, if I don't dress this way, then I'm never going to attract a man. So, so I've got to dress in this way that's really seductive, that presents myself in this manner. And think about it this way. If that's the direction that you go and the motivation that you go, you'll probably get what you want. And you'll probably draw the attention of a guy that's just focused on the physical and doesn't appreciate you for your character, doesn't appreciate you for your inward beauty. And so it's for your protection. It's for your protection to say, I want to dress in a modest way because I want to attract a spiritual man. I want to attract a man that's going to appreciate my character. But also to you young men, I'd like to speak to you young men as well. If you desire that out of a godly woman, then you needed to be a committed man in your character to Christ. 
And I see a lot of times in the young men in our fellowship is they really do want to marry a godly young gal, but they're not walking with Christ themselves. Then they meet a godly young gal and they play the part. They do a lot of acting and they start pretending, oh, oh, you go to Wednesday night Bible study? I go to Wednesday night Bible study too. I love the through the Bible study. Oh, you're going on the mission trip to Detroit? I, I was praying about going on the mission trip to Detroit. And that's not how they were living their lives. And young men, be that man of God before you meet that godly women. And so I'm going to give a challenge to the young men. It's time to wean yourself off of video games. (laughs) Nothing wrong with video games. But young guys, if, if you... Any age men, if all you do is sit home all the time and you play hours and hours of video games to the point where it's difficult to go to school, it's difficult to have, have a job, man, it is going to be very hard for you to attract a godly woman when you're like, hey, do you want to play a zombie killer till two in the morning? It's going to be awesome, you know? And they're like, ah, no thanks. I've got my eyes set on a godly man. Just a little suggestion, but you may want to move out of your mom's house at some point in your life, okay? <laughs> there is a time to launch out from mom and dad's house. And hey, there's a good time to be at home, maybe while you're going to school and going to college. But if you're just sitting at home in mom and dad's basement, not working, not going to school, and here's my point is this, is guys, you want to go for it. It's time for our young men to go for it. Fall in love with Jesus Christ. Get an age education. Get some skills and some character to where you're thinking ahead and saying, I'm this kind of man so that I can be a servant leader to this kind of woman. Verse 10. But which is proper for a woman professing godliness with good works. The important thing is the character. Do the clothes match the character? And being more concerned with professing godliness with good works. This is true inner beauty. Is a woman who's in love with Jesus Christ, who's serving God in her actions. And this is what really matters in a, a heart and a life. In verse 11, let a w- woman learn in silence with all submission. Several things to see from this verse, and let's just take the time to break it down this morning. First is, let a woman learn. It's God's heart that women would learn. And don't think for any moment as we go through these roles that God doesn't want women to learn. He wants every woman to have the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to know doctrine, to know theology. Ladies, you go for it in your learning of the things of Christ. Let a woman learn. And for the time that Paul lived in, in Ephesus, that wouldn't be the case for women. An education wasn't emphasized for women. So don't think that the roles that God has given in any way is to trying to suppress women. In fact, if you study history, when the gospel impacts a culture, a group of people, women are liberated. Women are put in an amazing place in which God has created for them to be. The attitude that they're to learn in is silence with all submission. This word silence is probably better translated as peaceable. In the same book, 1 Timothy 2 verse 2, the same Greek word is translated into peaceable. It's an attitude of peace. It's an attitude of being able to receive with all submission. And submission means to come under And I think submission may be one of the most misunderstood words in all of the Bible inside of our culture. As soon as I say submission, you associate it to something, and many times we associate it to something bad, and we think if we're going to submit that we're inferior. And please take a close look at the Trinity. 
because there's order inside of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're complete equals. Each is God, but yet Jesus always submitted to the Father. He always came under the leadership of the Father. So if Jesus submitted and he's equal to the Father, this gives a great example in our lives as well. And submission is to be a part of all of our lives. Men, we're to be submitted to God. We're to be submitted to the authority that he has placed in our lives. And so ladies, what we see here is that God raises up a group of elders, a group of pastors to serve and lead inside of a church. And then you come underneath that and and say, I'm going to submit to this and I'm going to learn from them. It goes on in verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence, to teach or to have authority. To be under authority is the principle and not to teach is the application. So once a woman begins to be the teaching pastor, the lead pastor, the senior pastor in a church, she's assuming that spiritual leader over a man. Let's talk about the details of this because I don't want anyone to be confused on this as much as possible. This isn't saying that women can never speak in church and that it's wrong for for women to ask a question. It's wrong for women to interject and, and share and those kinds of things to pray because we know from Acts 2 and also from 2 Corinthians 11 that women are encouraged to prophesy and pray in church gatherings. So when we have prayer meetings this week, By all means, ladies, you should be praying with us. If there's a time where the spirit is moving and the gifts are giving opportunity to be manifest, women can prophesy. When we have missionaries that come and share and ladies will come up and share here from the stage behind behind the pulpit, they're not in violation of 2 Timothy 2 because they're not assuming an elder position inside of the church. The only line, the only prohibition that God gives for women is this position of being the elder, of being the pastor. Who's going to be the one who's going to say, this is the doctrine of this church. This is church discipline. Here's some sin that's undealt with. A person's walking in rebellion. So until they repent, they're going to have to leave the church. Who's going to be the ones that are going to stand up and give that for that particular church body? Now, there's a lot of pressure just to throw this part of Scripture out and say, well, it's, it's just cultural. This isn't something that applies to all people. What happens if we throw out the order that God has set up inside of the church? What happens to the order that God has placed inside of the home, right? If we're saying it doesn't matter for the church, then it doesn't matter for the home. And what does God say about the home? That husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. A marriage and the order that God set up in marriage is to be a billboard of Christ in the church. If we throw out those roles inside of marriage, we've thrown out our most effective message of Christ and the church. Not to mention things aren't going to work well. Things aren't going to function well inside of a marriage that throws out that order. A church isn't going to be healthy the way that God intends if it throws out this order. Let's just say for sake sake of example, RMC wants to be a little bit more liberal and a little more trendy. So Amber, my wife, becomes the senior pastor. And she begins to to teach and assume the responsibility of, of the elder. And then I get into gross sin in my life. 
and she has to then tell me I can no longer be at the church. How then do I go home and try to regain that ground of, of leading at home? Do you see how that happens if we decide to throw this out and, and not operate by this? Does this mean what, what Paul is saying here that it applies to all places of society, the workplace, government, those type of things? No, this is God's order inside of the church and this is God's order inside of the home. Ladies, maybe you've been blessed in your job and you're a manager, you're a boss in your workplace. You're not in violation of scripture and in functioning in that way. This is inside of the church of God. Ladies, there's so many amazing things that you do inside of the church of God. I feel like we're so blessed here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. There's always room to grow, but there are many, many strong men of God inside of our church, and we're so thankful for that. And there's so many godly women inside of our church and women that have seen what God has given to them to do in ministry. And Titus 2, speaking to the older women, says, you teach the younger women how to love their husbands and love their children. You teach the, teach the children. There's so many things in, that God gives. And ladies, this morning, you can hear one of two things. You can hear, oh, I can't be an elder. I can't be a, the lead pastor at a church. Or you can go, okay, this is the order that God has set up. And look at all of these other things that I can do inside of the body of Christ. Verse 13, if you're still with me, if you're still paying attention, it's very important. It says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So those that would say, 1 Timothy 2 is cultural and it only applies to the church of Ephesus. What do they do with this verse? Because Paul is saying the reason for there being men elders inside of the church is because of the way God designed it at creation. That Adam was formed first. God could have said, Adam and Eve, I'm going to create you both at the, the same time. But instead he formed Adam first because he wanted Adam to be the leader. When Adam and Eve sinned, whom did God hold responsible throughout scripture? Adam. Because Adam was the head of that marriage. He was the head of that family. Adam should have said, hey, wait a second. God said not to do this. And we're going to go by the word of God. He was to be that protection. He was to be that servant leader. So if you're offended this morning, please take the time to stop and think. This isn't my message. This is God's message. And this is the way he created it to be. He created Adam first and then Eve. He created Adam to be that servant leader. Another reason that's given, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. There was consequences. There was a fallout from the fall, right? And we're familiar with that. One of them is ladies, moms, there's pain in childbirth. Can you give me a yes and amen on that one, ladies? They're like, yep, that's absolutely true. That's a part of the fallout of Adam and Eve's sin, a curse that was given to the men. And notice the men is that we would have to toil in our work in order to provide for our families. Men, maybe you've never heard this before, but it's your God-given responsibility to provide for your family, to make sure they have food, they have a place to live, and taking care of them. God holds us responsible for that, and it's gonna be hard until we go home to be with the Lord. Doesn't matter how long you've been at your job, there's going to be weeds inside of your job. There's going to be difficulty inside of your job. That's part of the fallout that comes from the fall. Another part of the fallout 
is because Eve was deceived, one of the consequences that was then given is that Adam was then to be the leader. And that carries out into the church in Timothy's day and our day as well. A lot of people with verse 14 try to build a case that women may be more prone to deception than men and somehow that that is there in verse 14. Definitely women tend to be more spiritual. Satan may try to play off of that, but I don't know necessarily that you can deduct that out of verse 14. I've sure seen a lot of men be deceived over the years as well. I'm sure you've seen that. I think what's clear in verse 14 is part of the fallout, part of the consequence of the fall and Eve being deceived is that Adam is to take this place. But even before the fall, it's the way that God designed it. Adam was formed first. Verse 15, it just kind of builds and builds. You kind of think, oh, maybe I'll get one of those nice, really easy verses. Not today. Verse 15. <laughs> Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What do you guys think? Is a woman only going to go to heaven if she had children? Is that what brings her into heaven, into a saving relationship with God? Absolutely not, right? What saves us? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's faith in his death and resurrection. So what's this verse saying? That she will be saved in childbearing. Remember, we're talking about roles here. We're talking about what God has given men and given women to do. And by very design, have you noticed, men can't have kids. If we could have kids, there would be only one kid per family. Because we would probably never do it again, right? But women, you have been designed with God, by God, to have this amazing ability to have children. This life is inside of you and you get to give birth to this child. So God's not saying that you come into eternal life by having children, but this word saved, it means it's the fullest orb of blessing, that there's a blessing that comes from having kids, from raising kids, from being invested in your children. Again, the heart of a pastor here is one of the things that breaks my heart is to see this be robbed from women in our culture. Girls are given this innate desire to be moms. I've got three daughters. It's happened with each and every one of them. They, they carry their little dolls around, you know? And my son throws the dolls around, you know? And they, uh, our little three-year-old right now, she's just so in love with her little baby doll. She's named it. She has a place to put it every night. She makes sure it gets fed and changed. I mean, she's thought more about what's needed for children than I did when I was 25 years old, you know? And she's three years old. And, and what is this? There's, there's something God-given inside of her. And then culture's trying to take that away. And culture's trying to say, hey, you know what? You shouldn't desire to, to be a mom. And, and that's not something that you should aspire to. And we look from God's perspective, and he tells us in Psalms 127 that children are a heritage from God. And that word heritage, it means God's reserved blessing for you. So God looks at all the ways that he could bless us, and he goes, ah, oh, I'm going to give you this kid. And I'm going to engineer this kid to be the perfect blessing for you. May we think biblically about kids instead of culturally about kids. About six months ago, Time Magazine put an article out that really shocked me, and it said this, when having it all means having no kids. And on the front cover are this young, vogue, attractive couple laying on the beach. They've got it all. They're relaxing. 
And then also on the beach is this family with four kids. It's like, you know, you know, and they, from the very beginning, from the very cover, pretty much said, you're stupid if you have kids. You know, it's better for you to just sit in your comfort and not have any challenges and difficulties. And then they began to show that the birth rate in America continues to go down. It's gone down for the last four years. It's the lowest it's ever been since the early 1900s. You talk to a lot of young couples and they don't even desire to have kids. And I think a lot of that's a product of all of the damage that we've seen inside of culture but it breaks my heart because they're missing out on the greatest blessings if God allows them to have kids. There's something that you can never learn when you're a parent about who God is and the way that he works. Well, all of a sudden, this brings up a point of pain. And some of your ladies are saying, I've never been able to have kids. Whether God hasn't brought the right man into your life and you've been waiting for a godly man or throughout your marriage, there's been infertility. And the Lord says, I'm not allowing you to have kids. And that can be a a great point of of pain. And may God comfort you in that and know that God does have blessings for your life. And he's going to work in a different way in your life. Men and women, may we choose to think biblically about kids and see what verse 15 is telling us, that there's a great blessing that comes in childbearing. Several years ago, I was in a coffee shop, and I was listening to a a conversation. It's a bad habit of mine. You know that. But there were these professors from UCCS, and they were both women, and they both had young kids, and they were expressing how shocked they were with their desire to be with their kids. And it was almost as if no one told them that once they had kids, that they would have a desire to, to be with them and to be there to raise them. And I'm not trying to make a point in saying, you know, about stay-at-home moms or if moms have to work. Man, there's so many economic challenges. Everybody has different situation when it comes to that. It's more of a condition of the heart and saying, you know what, as a mom, I want to be there for my children. I want to be involved in my life with my kids. As a dad to say, I want to see my kids in light of what Scripture says about them, that they're a heritage from the Lord. And don't get me wrong, it's not like being a parent is easy. It's not this kind of blessing that always feels good. It's the greatest joy, and it's also the greatest challenge, and sometimes it comes with the the greatest sorrow. But at the end of your life, you don't ever regret it. You go, wow, if I had to do it over again, I I would do it again. I'm so thankful that the kids that the Lord has, has given to me. So what have we seen this morning as we've gone through this text There is a difference. There is a role that God has given us to play as men and women. So as a church, we're a church that stands on the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel. We're not going to be a church that says, I'm going to throw out this section of scripture. I've heard pastors say and read what pastors have, have thought. Well, the women in the church of Ephesus didn't have an education. And so that's why Paul is saying that they couldn't be elders inside of the the church. That may be the case, but what did we read this morning? God says Adam was created first. This is God's design from creation. So we can't throw out this section of scripture and say that it's cultural. And for me, I think it's a slippery slope. It's called textual criticism. When people go through the scripture and they pick and choose 
what things they like and what things they don't like. And we're going to take the whole counsel of God. We're committed to taking the whole counsel of God. Someday I'm going to stand before God and give an account for what I taught here. You're going to give an account for your own life. And I don't want to start picking and choosing from Scripture. We want to allow our lives to fit into the Bible, not take the Bible and try to fit it into our lives. This may be news to you, but God's message has never been cultural. To be a Christian and to follow Christ is countercultural. It's us abandoning in our lives and fitting it in to the truth of Scripture. We're also going to be a church that recognizes God's design for men and women. To understand that we are created differently. This is one of my most favorite topics to talk about because I think it's largely misunderstood. I see people being ripped off. And I don't think we need to be ashamed of the fact that God created us male and female. He's a good designer. And we should seek to walk inside of that design. Now, in the spectrum of male and in the spectrum of female, there's a lot of variety. There's a lot of differences. And be who God has made you to be, but let's not lose the distinction between male and female. And let's walk in the roles that God has given us to do. Because he knows best. He's the father that knows best. And as we walk in his design, we're going to experience life and we're going to experience it more abundantly. Now here's a challenge. Men, let's go back to men. What's the Holy Spirit saying to us in regards to our families? If what we've just read is true, we're to be the servant leaders in the home. We're responsible before God. So what would God say about my marriage, my relationship with kids, the role that we're taking there? And are we praying? And allow as we close this morning for for God's spirit just to begin to speak to your heart. And then men, I'd like to share something with you that maybe you've you've never heard before. But if this is true, as we read through this and we'll study this next week, that this group of elders is to be a group of, of godly men, is men, have you ever been commissioned to be a servant leader inside of the church? Have you ever seen it inside of your design that God wants you actively engaged amongst the people of God, serving and edifying in some way? It's true for men and women. Women as well, serving and being actively involved in the body of Christ. But for some reason, women seem to catch that quicker than men. And women go, man, I want to be involved in the church. I want to serve in the church. I want to teach Sunday school. I want to do this. I want to do that. And men kind of go, eh, the church is for sissies. I don't, I'll just leave that to my wife. I'll go on Sundays. You know, I'll provide so my wife can, can go and do that. But I'm not going to make it a priority in my life to be a servant leader in the church. And this morning, men, I want to speak to you is God wants you to take a role in leading this church. And that will have impact and it will have effect. And many of you already are and keep it up. But if not, if you've never served in the church with a group of believers, would you pray about it? And where do you start? Pick up a volunteer application. There's many things that you can do. Lead a small group. We need small group leaders. Man, teach Sunday school, love on these kids. Many of these boys are growing up in our church with no male godly figure in their life. 
And I would love for them to meet some of you godly men as you invest in them. Maybe it's two Sundays a month, two Saturdays a month, two Wednesday night a month, but you said, you know what? I'm gonna go and I'm gonna invest in these young men in our church. What if the next Billy Graham's in our high school ministry or in our junior high ministry and you as a man going and investing in his life is gonna make a difference? Maybe it is being an usher. Ushers have such an important task and function inside of our church. Maybe God's calling you to be an elder inside of this church, but it's us owning it. It's us stepping into it and saying, I've got a role to play in my home. I've got a role to play in my church. And I stand by my belief, if men will be men, women will be women. And so God, may you stir our hearts as men. Let's stand together and let's pray.